Thank you for joining me for another episode of Groundbreaking Podcast. Food has this amazing ability to impact almost every sense in our body. And long after eating an incredible meal, we can usually remember every single detail about the experience we had, who we had it with and how it made us feel. This week we dive into the world of Michael Van Dyelsen, a famous chef and a TV personality. And over the last 30 plus years of his career, he has run and owned some of Auckland's landmark restaurants. You are in for an interesting story this week, and whether you are in the food business or not, there are some great lessons for any budding entrepreneurs. Hi Michael, thank you so much for joining us this week. So where did you grow up? Uh, I was brought up in West Auckland, born in an area called Massey, and then I was um, on a poultry farm, and then when we were 10, we moved to Henderson Valley, so West Auckland um, all my life, and then I moved to London when I was 22 um, and lived there for over 10 years. You started working in food when you were 14. Where did your passion come from? It wasn't something that came quickly. I think I think my passion for food came later in my career. The reason why I started in food was my eldest sister started working in a restaurant in Henderson called Tony's. And we would go in there for dinner and I thought it was hilarious because I could sit down and I could boss my older sister around. Tell her to get me more water. Tell her I need more serviettes. Tell her I need more cutlery. And then my next sister down, she started working there as a waitress. And so I had both my sisters working in that restaurant. And then it kind of felt like I had to work in this restaurant as well, but I didn't want to work out the front. So I started a part-time role as a dishwasher working in the kitchen on Friday nights and when I started working there the first day I worked the first Friday night um, it was a tremendous shock to go from working in your not even working to doing dishes in your own home to doing dishes in a commercial kitchen that was doing five to six hundred meals per night. Wow that must have been a shock. It was a tremendous shock, and um, the head chef gave me a big kick up my bum and told me to hurry up and get moving. And it was kind of at that point that I looked around at all the other chefs all working together as one big group, and the energy that they had and the togetherness and the comradeship that they had for each other was amazing. And it was quite addictive, and I couldn't wait to go back the following Friday to work as a dishwasher in that kitchen because I just wanted to see my buddies, the chefs, again. And uh, and that continued for a number of years before I was finally allowed to go and um, work full-time as a chef in that kitchen, which I did and stayed there for a further five years in that same, in that same restaurant. So it wasn't necessarily the food that um, drew me in. It was more the energy and the buzz of the job. You spent time overseas. What did you learn from that time? Everything, basically. Working in London kitchens, um, very, very big restaurants, very, very pressured. Um, a lot of change, um, a, lot of, a lot of money, 
um, but with that money came a lot of pressure in the in the kitchens to perform and be perfect every single time. Um, plus, we were drawing on food from all over the world. You know, here in New Zealand, we we have seasons. In London, you don't really have seasons because if beans run out in one country, then they just get them from another country. So the availability of produce is tremendous. It's it's immense, and you cook. And you work with food that you would never ever work with anywhere else in the world. So, what did I learn um, in my time overseas? I learned how to be a chef. You must have managed some large teams. What strategies worked for you? Probably the biggest the biggest team that I worked in was uh, a group. Uh, it was a restaurant called Bank B A N K. That restaurant would do a thousand people every night. Um, I had working under me up to 30 chefs at one time and the menu would change every lunch and every dinner. So that was the most pressure I was ever under. My my strategy there was basically to lead by example um, and work as hard as them, as, as, as hard as they were, if not harder. I arrived early, I left late. And I led by an example, and that seemed to work for me then. But I was young, and I certainly couldn't do that again. <laughs> How did you cope with the pressure? I think generally just pressures in general. How do I cope with pressure in general? Is um, London, I on my days off, I would go riding. I would have a, uh, a bike, and I would basically just put the bike on the tube and or on the train and I'll just go to a stop and I'll just ride. So I'll go to that stop and I'll ride around that area and I'll try and figure out where I was and try my try and make my way back to London. And it was a bit of an adventure. Uh, I got to see things um, that I wouldn't have normally have seen um, and also it was a bit of exercise. So for me, uh, coping with the pressure was probably exercise above anything else. What advice could you share around building those restaurant businesses? Restaurants are are a very very tough um, industry or or business to be in because because the margins are very tight. What I mean by margins is if you pay, let's say you pay ten dollars for a meal, um, out of that ten dollars you take three dollars for the cost of the meal itself. You take $3 for the cost of the person who served it to you, and you take $3 for the the gas, the power, the electricity, the, the tables that you're sitting on, the ambiance, the lighting, the location, the rent. So that out of that $10 meal, you're only left with $1. And if the chef is in that kitchen and he's, having a bad day and he burns that meal before it gets to you and he has to do a new one, then you've lost money on that meal. So it's very, very difficult to make, I guess, to make money out of restaurants. So my advice that I would give to people around restaurants is to know your numbers and to keep a very, very tight eye on everything going on in that restaurant and always be heavily involved in it. If you are looking to set a business up and then think that you can walk away from it, 
that's not a restaurant industry. You came back to New Zealand from London and started your own business. How did that go? Um, it was exciting uh, having our own having our own little um, spot because we spent a long a long time looking at looking at different places to to open a restaurant and we looked basically from Hokkaido to Matakana. Lots of opportunities. And we were driving down the motorway to have a look at another place in South Auckland, and we were going through the paper, and it had, and it had open restaurant from two to three in Mount Eden. We thought oh, that's a bit weird. Open restaurant, we've heard of that. So we thought, oh, you yeah, we might as well go and have a look. And so at two o'clock, we turned up at this site in Mount Eden, and we fell in love with it instantly. Um, it was also quite cheap, which is always a bonus. So um, we put an offering on it there and then, and we got it. And the Mount Eden was our, our or Moulton was our place, our home. Uh, the staff that were in it were our family, and we loved everything about it. And we worked extremely hard. Um, did everything go to plan? No. The first night was an absolute disaster because we didn't have enough gas. And so the ovens never reached the temperature. So it took about 55 minutes to cook one chicken breast. So I think people that sat down at about 7 p.m. probably got their meals at about midnight. But no, it certainly didn't go to plan. And there were lots of challenges going forward for the next 10 years that we owned that restaurant. But we loved it to bits. Why Milton? Came because the restaurant is, was sitting on the side of Mount Eden, so it's sitting on molten lava, it's sitting on a volcano, and also we, we reference a lot of, well quite often we reference food or compare it to molten, so a, a perfect risotto should fall like molten lava, um, and so molten always had a, uh, it's kind of had a multiple, multiple sort of use, so to say, it was because of its location, but also it conjured up lots of great ideas around food. So that's, that's why we called it Molten, and it stuck. How did you keep up with the work of both running and growing the businesses? I don't know sometimes. <laughs> um, it is very difficult, and um, I have a, a, a wonderful uh, wife and partner um, who supports me through um, good times and bad, and um, as a wife does, and and also uh, I'm very very I'm very persistent. I am very driven. Um, I will never I never want to fail at anything, and so I make sure that I put 110 percent into anything to ensure that it's that it's a success, and I've done that all my life. How did the whole food truck show on TV happen? The food truck came about because uh, we were approached by a TV company who had the idea of producing a fast food show out of a truck and they needed a chef. And so I was that chef that gave them, I guess, gave gave the food truck the identity um, and also gave it the recipes and gave it a soul, gave the food truck a heart. So it was a it was a, an idea that was pitched by somebody else who then approached 
myself about being involved in it. And um, yeah, well, it was it was a great success, and it came at the right time because we just had a uh, a young girl, uh, our own, our first daughter, Hazel. And both B and I were in a, in a good frame of mind. We were living very healthy. We we still are, and the pressures of the restaurant were uh, had been lifted somewhat off our shoulders. So it was good timing for the show to come along. What lesson in business has taken you the longest to learn? <laughs> There's probably many lessons I still need to learn. Uh, one big lesson is you kind of got to leave certain things to other people to do. Um, that's probably a big thing. You can't do everything. I was that person who tried to do everything and you know, you, you skim across everything and sometimes you don't do things as well as you possibly could because you're doing too much. So probably the biggest thing is to actually leave uh, things that you're not confident or strong in to other people who can do it. So I think the the lesson being you just got to stand back and let other people do their job sometimes. Hiring the right people is important. What have you learnt and what do you look for? In, in the hospitality industry, it's, uh, hiring people is sometimes not as easy as people think. It's not like you have a, a long line of applications and you make a selection from that. Quite often in hospitality, you'll have um, one position or one vacant position and you may have uh, five people that are not so perfect and you have to choose one because you have no choice. So hiring the right people, um, maybe the key people within that business, maybe the management is is very important. But from then after, you are kind of at the mercy of who walks in that door. Um, what have I learned um, to look for in hiring people? I probably try and avoid people that have worked in multiple places for short periods of time. I look for people who have started the industry and stayed in positions for at least a couple of years. You know, quite often you'll get a CV and there might be, yeah, you know, that person may have worked in 15 restaurants and the longest they've stayed in them is six months. So, you know, that tells you that this person likes to move around, probably gets bored quickly or can't handle pressure or stress or um, maybe can't handle conflicting circumstances or, you know, is just someone that would just easily drop their job um, because they know that there's lots of other jobs out there. So I always look for someone who has been in positions for long periods of time and has worked their way up, you know, have started as a junior chef and made it up the ladder. You know, they have been driven to actually progress themselves within that job because if you have someone that's just stayed in the same position for five years, that's no good either because why haven't they moved up? So I look for people that have stayed in positions for long periods of time or stayed in um, establishments for long periods of time but have also been driven enough to actually want to succeed. It is easy to overcomplicate things. How do you keep focused on simplicity? Um, I think that's an experience. Uh, I think um, I think younger chefs, uh, in particular when it comes to flavours, possibly hang on the sort of we must put lots of flavours on there because we're uncertain of what our cuisine is. Um, and so I guess once you get uh, experience as a chef and you start to find your own niche and what you're good at, less is better. 
you tend to start taking ingredients off the plate, but the, the ingredients that are on the plate, you make sure that they are matched perfectly well together. So I think it's, uh, it is easy to or complicate to add more ingredients. So how do you keep it simple is, A, to know what your cuisine is in the first place. What was one of the biggest risks you have taken and what did you learn from that? We, we've taken many risks and, you know, Moulton was our first restaurant. That was a big risk. There was, you know, it was financially a big risk. You know, every restaurant we've opened thereafter has been a risk because they, you know, they cost a lot of money and they, they not only money, but they take a lot of you. They take a lot of your time and a lot of your energy and a lot of your focus. So what have we learned from the restaurants that we've opened is, is just to kind of try and take our time and do it properly. Um, we're about to open a new one ourselves on our own property and that, that, that is a massive undertaking because not only are we building the restaurant, we're also building the building. So, you know, that's, that's a huge undertaking for us. And what have we learned from all the restaurants that we've opened is, is you've just got to do it properly and you can't cut corners and you've just got to get in there and, and be in amongst it all the time. What does it take to grow a brand in a highly competitive marketplace? Consistency would be probably the biggest thing. Consistency is everything. You know, I want to go to a restaurant or a cafe or a burger bar or whatever it may be, and I want to have a good burger. And I then want to go back a week later and have that same burger and have it cooked the same and taste the same and be presented in the same way and be served in the same manner. You know, consistency is everything. Um, and when you're building a brand, your social media comes into that. Um, social media is massive. Uh, but for me, it's, it's a combination of having the food, the ambiance, and the service correct, and then ensuring that every single day that you open those doors, it is to a level that you are you know, happy and proud of. What has been the best day as an entrepreneur and what's been your worst? Oh, probably my best day. We've won a lot of awards uh, and, and they, are, they are fantastic because it's somebody saying to you or somebody recognising your hard work that you have done. But for me, my best day was probably a day in Moulton. Uh, I think it might have been a Friday or a Saturday night. The night went perfectly. The food was perfect. Every meal that went out was perfect. It was cooked. Every dish was cooked perfectly. The service was impeccable. There had been no issues. Everybody was in a really good mood. And I looked out into that restaurant. The restaurant was jammed, jammed, full of uh, happy punters or customers smiling and, and giggling and enjoying uh, the moment, and you know, we had given them that moment. We had given them that atmosphere. We had given them the food, and they were loving it. And so that was probably the proudest day of my career. Worst day, there's been a few of those as well. Um, worst day was probably when I did a demonstration in Ireland. There was a cooking demo in a in a um, Irish cookery school called Ballymaloe, quite a well-known, highly regarded cookery school. And I was demonstrating how to do a red duck curry. And they had ovens there that were called argas. And they were re- I'd never cooked with one. And they were really vicious and really hot. So I put a pan on there and I went to fry some coconut um, oil and then add in the red curry paste. 
So I put in the red curry oil and or put in the coconut oil and then put in the, the paste and that pan was so hot and so fierce that it instantly caught on fire and filled the room with a chilly smoke that basically suffocated everyone inside that room. And we all oh, had no. to escape. We all had to get out as fast as we could and people were choking for quite a long time after that. And the fire brigade came and people had to have oxygen and it was quite bad. So that was probably the worst day of my career. Mm, it sounds like a terrible day. It wasn't the best. I wasn't invited back to another class. What do you expect to be the biggest change in food industry over the next few years? I, I wonder. Um, the food industry is changing. You know, the fine dining restaurants are finding it more or, or harder and harder. Because of competition, um, because people are spending less, because people are going out to more casual places instead of going out to more expensive places. So the the, the scene and how how people are eating and dining out is actually changing. You know, no longer are people going out once once not that they did in the past, but no longer are people going out for a an expensive meal once a week. People are going out three times a week for a cheaper meal. And so the the the, the demographics of how people are they're still spending the money, they're spending it in different ways. They're spending it more often and they're spending less. So what do we do as chefs? We we have to change with that. We end up starting to open you know, closing our more expensive fine dining establishments down that require they require a lot of money to run, and we end up opening just casual eateries, you know, burger burger bars and and just casual cafes, and you know, we have less staff and the food is less complicated, um, and there's less elements on the plate and the kitchens are smaller and they're in maybe less desirable areas, but the food is cheaper and the ambiance is more fun, so. I think the, the the changes or the challenges over the next few few years or or you know five or ten years is actually keeping up with that, you know, keeping up with the demand of what the public want. What challenges do you think are exclusive to food startups? Cost of startup versus income generated location is always big ensuring that you've got the right food offering at the right price in the right area. Um, so huge, huge amounts of challenges. You know, you open the doors and will they come? Uh, food is not a um, food is not something that is a necessity for us. You know, it's not like opening um, an accounting firm or a lawyer's or lawyer's office or a dentistry or a lot of companies that actually are going to do well because we have to have that service. A restaurant is a, a restaurant is a hospitality industry, and hospitality industry generally is is not a necessity for a lot of people. So to open up a a food venture, you have to make sure that you tick those boxes of is it in the right location? Am I spending enough, or am I spending too much? What is my food offering? And am I very sure that what I am offering is right for the area? And am I very clear with what my offering is?
because if you're not clear, then the customer is going to be confused. What has surprised you the most from your journey thus far? It's been a long journey. <laughs> probably that I'm still probably that I'm still in it. Maybe two years. The fact that it does change so tremendously, and also that you have to keep changing to keep up with it and keep evolving. And for for us, yeah, we we started with a fine dining restaurant, and then we went to. The food truck garage, which was a casual eatery, which went to, and then we went to Boy and Bird, which was a casual eatery, and then we now we're opening up a venue on our cookery school, which is going to be all of the above, and we'll do events and functions, and you know, so we've we've changed on that journey ourselves, and so I think the surprise for me is just how we've ended up from where we began. You know, what we thought was so so simple to open up a restaurant and serve food has morphed into so much. So much bigger. So the surprising thing is that it, you know, we've been along for a journey that we haven't really had much of an understanding of what it would be about, but we would come to the end now, which is um, which is fantastic. You have now launched your fifth book, The Good from Scratch Kids Cookbook. Can you tell me more? Um, the Good from Scratch came about probably because of spin off from the food truck, um, because I've always had people coming up. I've always had kids coming up to me and I've always had parents coming up to me going, what, what can I cook for my kids? What can my kids cook for themselves? What do you cook for your kids? Can you produce a book just for kids um, that doesn't just have muffins and scones and cupcakes in it? We want real food. We want good food. So that was the whole reason why we produced Good From Scratch Kids was to to give the kids the cookbook themselves so that they can start to learn and get themselves into the kitchen and start cooking. Who inspires you? My wife inspires me. Bee inspires me. My my kids inspire me. Professionally, there's probably not too many chefs that I really would follow that I'll be, like, inspired by. A lot of people, just general, everyday people, inspire me and not necessarily food people. You know, who do I... Who do I look up to? There's probably chefs that I would look at that are very talented, like Nigel Slater and even Gordon Ramsay. You know, he's he's made a career out of the food industry and he's been very successful. And um, so, you know, you know, some people may not like him. Some people may not like the way that he talks to people, but you know, he's that's him and that's what he does. And and he's been very successful. So. You know, I get inspired by multitudes, multitudes of people. I'm always looking at other people and what they do. And I'm always seeing if I can do it better myself. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? I was going to be three things when I was growing up as a kid. I was going to be, I was either going to be a chef, I was going to be an accountant, or I was going to be a builder. And I look at accountants now and I look at builders now. And would I want to be them? No, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy being a chef. So if I would go back in time to see what I would do, I would probably just slow down and smell the roses a little bit sometimes, actually just sit back sometimes and look at your achievements instead of just constantly trying to push forward. Okay, final question from me. What is your favourite food to cook with your kids? <laughs> My favourite food? Wow. Boy. Many. You know what? I, my one of my favourite meals myself is we have a fire called an ingle. It's 
called E-N-G-E-L. And it's a wood-fired rotisserie oven. And what I do is I get chickens and I put the chickens onto that rotisserie oven and then I make a mushroom risotto. If we can collect our own mushrooms from the farm, even better. We make a mushroom risotto with loads of palms and cheese and heaps of flavour. And we serve the rotisserie chicken with that mushroom risotto and rock it from our garden. Rock it, mushroom risotto, wood-fired rotisserie chicken. It is, it has everything for me. I am a happy man and a basketball one. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Michael. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed this interview, please leave me a comment down below and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your network. As always, stay awesome and share the love.